0: Money FM 89.3, best of prime time.
1: You're with prime time, Bharati Jagdish and Timothy Goh with you today. And climate change, I think, is something that we have been talking about a lot lately, haven't we, Tim? It's a problem that's been around for ages. And now it is having a really profound effect on food in Singapore and our region as a whole. We're talking about the production of food, the quality of food, and don't forget the affordability of food as well.
2: That is, of course, expected with climate change and everything that comes along with it. Uh, Last month, Oxford Economics and Food Industry Asia released a report detailing how climate change has been a driver in the rising prices of food here in Southeast Asia to levels We have seen today, but what is the magnitude of climate induced agricultural challenges on food production and pushing farmers here in Southeast Asia to the brink and can we still do anything about this?
1: Mm, I really hope so. So to better understand us, we're joined on the line today by Duke Hip, Public Affairs and Strategic Partnerships Director at Crop Life Asia, a non-profit organization based here in Singapore dedicated to promoting plant science. And we'll find out more about that as well. Thanks for joining us today, Duke. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. So, Duke, let's talk about a survey that you recently did of Southeast Asia's policymakers, ASEAN and CropLife Asia all together, To better understand the impact of climate change on agriculture, food production, and smallholder farmers here. I understand there were both quantitative and qualitative elements to this research. And it showed that ASEAN policymakers are actually acutely aware of the devastating impact of climate change on smallholder farmers. Tell us more about the magnitude of the problem in terms of the impact it's having on the ground.
0: Well, you know, first of all, you're absolutely right about one thing there. Southeast Asia is definitely on the front line when it comes to climate change. The average temperatures in the region have risen, I think, every decade since 1960, right? And particularly around the region, Vietnam, Myanmar, the Philippines, and Thailand are among the, the, the 20 countries who have been most affected globally by climate change over the last two decades, in particular. Um, so, and by the way, it should be noted since we're talking about Southeast Asia, you really can't talk about food production in Southeast Asia without talking about smallholders, right? Asia is home to the smallest size farms, largest number of smallholder farmers anywhere in the world. And generally what that means is just that there's a farms with fewer than two hectares of land and uh, so roughly a hundred million of those smallholders are right here uh, in Southeast Asia. So, so how does all, all that affect agriculture and, and food production from these smallholders? Well, a number of different ways, but most obviously it's very disruptive. Of course, with planting and harvesting seasons, for farmers, you know, beyond all that increased droughts and floods create a very challenging landscape for growers, spread of more pests or weeds. Diseases to contend with, loss of biodiversity, direct damage to soil um, quality—a number of different ways. It just sort of exacerbates existing uh, issues as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that was the impetus for why we wanted to get a better handle on uh, what the policymaker perspective is around all that and and what uh, what they're seeing.
2: So, what are they seeing? What were the findings of your survey?
0: Well, there, there were quite a few different uh, interesting findings. I think um, um, I would say maybe the, maybe the big uh, headline finding was that over half of them really noted climate change as the number one challenge for food systems around ASEAN, mm-hmm. uh, which and it, it wasn't even close. Number two, I think was almost half of that. There are other pieces that come into in light, as what we can get into if you like, uh, around like the next 10 years, the next 5 years. But um, but I think I think you know the, um, the spirit of the whole thing is that they they understand that the farmers are on the front line of all this. Right. It's a real challenge that they're facing.
1: So what to do next is the question, isn't it? I know that better education has come up as a possible solution of agricultural tech and sciences as well, and some innovation aspects too. What are some of the solutions that they're gravitating towards?
0: You know, and the thing is, like with every challenge like this, just one size fits all, it really doesn't work. right? There's no silver bullet with any of this. Um, um, even with technology like plant science, I would say, even though that's, of course, as you noted, that's what crop life is all about. However, I think one thing that has to be noted in this as well is that without, without innovations such as crop protection products and plant science, we know that global pre-harvest crop, loss, crop losses would be double. But again, regardless of the, of the technology, I think it's about the regulatory underpinning. So uh, no matter what kind of technology and innovations we can think of to help the farmers or help address the situation, if the if the, the regulations aren't in place in some of these countries to support and to make sure that, gosh, these innovations are available to farmers and those who need the most, and I think that's sort of the uh, the the real challenge is to work with these for the government science showing the regulations are there
2: okay Duke. Let, let's look at severe weather patterns here in the ASEAN region and that is a big challenge for many of the farmers uh, particularly in places like the Philippines where you get dozens of typhoons in a year is there a way to fix that challenge
0: well um, as I said before I think that it's, it's not about fixing the challenge I guess around um, uh, the challenge is not going anywhere right mm. I, mean, I think that that's going to be with us for, for quite a while the question is how do we adapt how do we mitigate the effects for, for farmers and um, and I think that's, you know, gets back to, as you noted earlier, that one of the findings here was that um, uh, the farm, the um, policymakers did note that education and having greater access to those technologies is going to be key.
1: Mm, but you mentioned so regulation, be- Duke. You mentioned regulation being a hurdle. So what would you suggest be the next steps in order to get past all of this and to implement some of these solutions?
0: Well, I think, you know, education farmers is important, regulatory and policymaker folks as well. I think that's uh, got to be a big step that they... They recognize this as a challenge. They recognize that the technology needs to be there, but maybe make, maybe connecting those dots and saying that, yes, you've, you've raised this as a challenge, you've raised this as a possible solution. Now work with us on making sure that the regulations are in place mm. to ensure that farmers have access to that, that you're not you know, tying the hand behind their back at the same time and expecting things to just be continuing as usual. But they don't have access to drought-tolerant, you know, uh, different types of technologies that could be helpful in this mm. situation.
1: Let's talk a bit more about these technologies because you're in the business of plant science and sustainable agriculture. I've heard a lot about precision agriculture being very helpful as well. So what are some of the key technologies that can help in this regard?
0: Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there are, um, when it comes to our technology, you know, there's quite a bit there you can get into. I was going to get into crop protection products in particular and, and plant and plant biotechnology. So biotech mm. crops have been developed with improved traits, increased yield, better resistance to pests, improved nutrition. With Pesticides, again, it's about... Uh, I mean, it's, the reality is that when they're used responsibly and they're used uh, properly and, and by the label, it, it really ensures sort of guarding against that like post-harvest loss. 40% of the global rice and corn harvest would be lost every year, if not for those, as well as around 50 to 90% of fruits and vegetables. So it's a, it's a big technology. Beyond all that, of course, digital, more data drones. The use of drones right now around Asia is really growing. And the regulations are being put in place to support that. So there are a lot of things that are happening that are good, good positive developments. Um, I think it's just a question of, um, as I said, we're connecting the dots with other technologies as well to ensure that farmers have the access.
1: Now we've been talking a lot about plants, Duke, but I'm curious, what about the industrial farming of animals? Of course, this is fueled by demand. It hurts the environment in a variety of ways. It's a resource-intensive activity. Animals need water, climate controls that often rely on fossil fuel energy resources and shelter what would you say is a viable potential solution to this i know that your solution can be applied to growing animal feed sustainably but beyond this can some of the things you're doing be applied to other problems related to factory farming or do we just have to turn to encouraging people to eat plant-based diets or even plant-based meats
0: I think, you know, you have to look at it in a holistic way, right? there's a There's a role for all of that. And I think you, here in Singapore, of course, we've got the big 30 by 30 initiative, which, you know, gets into being self-sufficient here in Singapore around the food that's being produced here and reading higher benchmarks along the way, knowing we're going to hit 30% self-sufficiently by by 2030. And that's great. And hydroponics are a big part of that. And you just mentioned alternative uh, you know, sources of protein, and it's all great. I think the reality is we have to also look at what you know, what's happening here and now and what's happening on the ground in, in ASEAN and being able to ensure that while we have some great uh, aspirations around where we want to be, what do we need to do, need to do now so that mm-hmm. we can sustainably produce the food that we, we have to have as our population continues to grow?
2: Without having to sound alarmist over here, but what we need to do now, putting into consideration what's happening in the Ukraine crisis and how it's also disrupting yep. food production supplies plus the climate change challenges we are having here in Southeast Asia, the heat wave in the Indian subcontinent as well, mm. immediate problem that we need to know now so we can encourage people to act now.
0: You know, you're, you're touching on, you're absolutely right. I mean, the fact is that there are so many headwinds right now. I think about these three, the three C's, uh, COVID, climate change, now conflict in Ukraine. It's like, it's like an onion, the outer layers, the outer layer might be that Russian invasion of Ukraine right now that's wreaking havoc on the food system and disruption around, you know, uh, supply chains. Maybe next will be Covid nineteen and what the farmers have gone to for two and a half years mm-hmm. it's exposed the fragile nature of nature of food systems <clears throat> and so on and on. What do we do as consumers? I think um, just I just had awareness being more cognizant of just how fragile the food systems are. And I think whether we like it or not we're we're learning that now I mean, food prices are are, are being uh, affected by that and so um, it's all interrelated, and I think that, and I think that's a um, lesson. But we understand too that you know we can't just expect the food to always be there right. if we don't always make sure our farmers have what they need.
1: Here's the thing: you spoke to various policymakers across the ASEAN region. To what extent do you sense the political <laughs> will to actually make all of this happen to help all of this materialize on the ground? Yeah, well,
0: I mean, I, I don't know that it comes out in the survey necessarily, but I, I sense that again, as I said before, the positive piece I take from it is that there's an awareness around the vulnerability of, of, of who's affected most by all of this, respect to food production. Farmers are at the front of that, but then young people as well who'll be affected by you know um, the availability of safe, nutritious food going forward. So. Mm. I think that is a positive. I think, but
1: awareness is one thing. Actually, getting up and taking action—that's quite another, isn't it?
0: Well, it, yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right. But I mean, wasn't it all a wake-up call for all of us when when uh, when COVID hit? And we appreciated science. We appreciated what was happening as far as the development of these of uh, these vaccinations. We've all benefited from benefited from here in Singapore. I think that's the same sort of thing. This is a wake-up call. IPCC has called it that, and I think it's very to call it that. will be there. I think it's growing.
1: How best do you think organisations like yours could also work to get public and private sector players to come together to support the agricultural sector here?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked that. that. I think that is our that has got to be uh, our main focus going forward, because as I said before, it really isn't something that any one group. It's not just a civil society problem. It's not a government problem. It's not a NGO problem. It's it's all of our problem, and there has to be collective work. There has to be shared solutions and that's, that's the only way we'll have anything that's sustainable and can actually address uh, the, this challenge. So that's our role it where I think working with ASEAN and bringing together um, industry in uh, that, that discussion is going to be key, and, and others as well. So more stakeholders, the better. And um, that'll give us the real solution that
2: we need. All right. Well, thanks for shedding some light into all of these challenges uh, the agriculture sector is facing here in Southeast Asia, and for that matter, for the rest of the world as well. Duke Hip is Public Affairs and Strategic Partnership Director at Crop Life Asia, joining us here on Primetime.
0: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O.